What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Trigger warning. The following episode contains descriptions of graphic violence and adult language. Viewer discretion is advised. I'm Danielle. I'm Max. And each Wednesday, we crack open a bottle of wine and dive into some thrills, chills, and spills. This is Innocent Till Tipsy. I have a ghost story for you today, but before we get into that, I just wanted to remind everyone that we are on Patreon now, which is so exciting. Yes, we're dropping our episodes early for you on Patreon, ad-free. You'll get them every Monday instead of waiting until Wednesday. Also, you can come join us over there and we'll do live Q&As every Thursday is what we've been doing so far. Um, And there's additional content on there as well that we drop weekly. So make sure you come and hang out with us. Oh my gosh. I love it. And our Q and A's are so fun to hear from like everyone about the episode. And then of course we digress into like all kinds of other things. So it's super fun. I love it. Yeah. So if you haven't joined already, make sure you do. It'll be in the description of this episode, but, and also make sure you're liking, rating, subscribing, doing all the things so you don't miss an episode. And it really does help us out as well. So just an hour outside of New York city, there's a small village on long Island with a population of less than 10,000 with a very infamous house that has been the inspiration of over 30 horror movies. I'm because so excited. Of, oh, it's a good one because of this infamy. You think we'd know everything there was to know about 112 ocean Avenue, but it's so much more than the paranormal experiences that we've been made aware of by the 1977 book and the 1979 horror movie that was released along with the 2005 remake with Ryan Reynolds that starred in it. Um, <laughs> I tell you, I watched this when I was 16, was absolutely terrified, saw based on a true story, thought, oh my God, this can't be the devil is alive and well. <laughs> And um, yeah, so you probably already guessed we're talking about the Amityville Horror House and the true yes. story that goes along with I'm it. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm so excited. Then so I've much- been forever since I've seen them. I'm so jelly that you just watched them both, right? I didn't watch both. I only, I the don't know one? if I could watch the Ryan Reynolds one again. That was so bad. We watched the old one last night. My mom came into town and we had a really good laugh actually over it. It wasn't as scary as I remember it being as a kid. So James Brolin is in it. Josh Brolin's father. Mm-hmm. And I don't normally find men like conventionally attractive. Like I don't really have like a, I don't, I don't find them attractive. And that man gorgeous there's a scene in the movie where he pulls off his jeans and i said aloud you pull up those jeans (laughs) good thing you're watching it with your mom i know we were both like drooling over him we're like what is happening no it was uh it was it was okay but we there was like there was a couple of instances that were creepy but not i but you have to remember so i was raised evangelical christian so the devil was very much a force to be reckoned with so i don't know if it would scare as many people as bad as it did me do you know what i mean Uh, yeah and also the time too i feel like we've been a little bit desensitized like horror Mm. continues to progress so like when i go back and watch things i'm like how are you scared of the birds and then i'm like oh because it's like a thriller and this would be terrifying if you hadn't seen like saw 
you yeah, know? Yeah. I, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I just feel like I, even the, um, the, the more the reboot, like, or the remake of it is mm. was scary. Cause that was the first one I saw when I was a kid. That's so it. It's, I, yeah. I, it's like when you experience it, you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I mm. remember because it's that this is based on a true story. The, like, yeah. So it's real. <laughs> you believe it. Yeah. A hundred percent. This definitely happened. So there's so much when it comes to the story, though. There's domestic violence. Um, there's the mafia is involved in this. There's murder, a mass murder of a family. And of course, that paranormal story that would happen after. So the, just the bare bones here. We have a family mass murdered in a house. And then just 13 months later, another family moves in and starts experiencing all these paranormal claims. We're going to mm-hmm. get into their claims. Um, Lorraine Warren, Warren, excuse me. I can't talk today of the infamous conjuring franchise. Have you seen those movies? Oh yes. And yeah. those were like, like, I feel like, again, I wasn't spooked until I saw those, like it had been a while. So, oh yeah. So she once said what happened in that house, the Amityville horror house was quote unquote, the personification of evil and the closest to hell that she's ever been. Oh my gosh. I got <laughs> no, chills. You chills. I got chills. <laughs> <laughs> but before we dive into the true story of the Amityville horror house, let's talk about the wine that we have today that I definitely need. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Well, we've had this sitting here and there's no better time than the present. So, um, Jose Hernandez is, um, a a wine that's new to me. So we got it from naked.com. Um, and I'm going to give it a try. It's from, it's a Malbec and Cab Sav blend. It's from Mm -hmm. Argentina. Awesome. Cool. I have a different one over here. I have that one as well, but I'll probably use it for the next episode. We're filming two today. Um, we got ghost pines. I wanted to do it for this episode. I know it's a California wine and it's really honestly nothing spooky. They said that it's because of the indigenous um, trees that they have there. That's why it's called ghost pines. So yeah, it's a Cabernet Sauvignon and it says there's layers of blackberry and dark cherry that complement a rich roasted vanilla. So it's definitely up my alley when it comes to I just to picked one of those wine. up. I know you can grab that at Target. I feel like it's under 20. Yeah, it was under 20. I think it was, yep. I think it was $12.99 for this yeah. one. It was super cheap at Publix. Yeah. So, and I got my little, my little skeleton hand wine glass Ooh. for this one. I wanted something spooky. Um, Love yeah. it. Yeah. I'm sad we're at the end of our naked wine boxes. I know. The end. We kind of blew through a case of wine. <laughs> it like makes you realize you're like, that was six bottles of wine. <laughs> we did over six week time. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I also have to share with you, look what I have on today. I know this is not going to be that great, but I'm only here for an alibi. Well, we got a crime con. We got it at crime con. Mm. I, I've been like waiting all year to wear it. Cause I mean, crime con was in the spring and it was Vegas. So it was hot, but I was like, mm. I wear a sweatshirt. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I just have my trick or treat, but I have matching my matching earrings on. I got my matching Sam necklace on. Always spooky. I love it. Spooky, spooky. Ready. Oh man. So right, well, cheers. Cheers. Oh, oh this I is love good. It's that. not as bold as, um, like other, like the last ones. This is like way smooth, way smooth and really like light. Good for well, a 10 AM drink. You know, I have to tell you. Um, I have already tried that one because I actually had already had a box of naked wine and I hadn't realized it, but I opened the bottle today and prep for our episodes and it came out with this corkscrew and that corkscrew is so, you just know what it's from like immediately. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, I've had that before. And I went down, I have a little case in my kitchen 
and oh, it's the funny. same. Yeah. So I was like, I've already had this bottle. And then that's how I knew. Cause I knew I had ordered wine from somewhere before, but I couldn't remember where. And that's how I knew I was like, it must've been naked wines. So that's yeah. so funny. But anyway, they do a lot of partnerships. I think I've had a box of mm-hmm. naked wines too, but it's been so long. So mm-hmm. yeah, I really enjoyed our, our little exploration into all the different ones they sent us. That was amazing. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. Let's get into it. At 6.30 p.m. on November 13th, 1974. So first think about that turnaround. The book comes out in 77. The movie comes out in 79. That is a quick turnaround. That's quick for a movie, yeah. For that time, too? Like, just think about the time you'd need to pitch that, all of that. That's wild to me. Yeah. But 6.30 p.m., November 13th, 1974. Ronald Ronnie Butch DeFeo Jr., swings open the front door of a bar called Henry's bar and shouts, please, you've got to help me. I think my mother and father are shot. He then falls to his knees and starts weeping in the bar. Now, luckily for Ronnie, and maybe he knew this in the first place anyways, his friend, Robert Bobby Kelsky was already there and went to his aid immediately. So Bobby, along with their other friends, Joey Yeswit, John Altieri, Al Saxton and William, I can't pronounce his last name. I'm so sorry. They race back to Ronnie's home, 112 Ocean Avenue with Ronnie in his 1970 Buick Electra. When they arrive, Ronnie stays outside and the men go up to the front door and the door is unlocked. Inside the house, it's completely dark, but they can hear the family sheepdog barking as they enter. Bobby. No wonder this was made into a movie. I know it's so creepy. I can just envision it. It's so scary. Mm -hmm. Bobby led the group of men upstairs as Butch sat outside the house sobbing. Inside the master bedroom, they found a gruesome scene. Ronald DeFeo Sr., who was 43 at the time, and his wife, Louise, 42, were found face down in their beds. No sign of struggle with bullet holes in their body and dried blood. Whoa. Mm -hmm. They then discovered the bodies of the four of the five DeFeo children, all of Ronnie's siblings, in similar fashion, all face down in their beds and their night clothes at 6.30 p.m. Like, keep the timing in mind. Dried yeah. blood. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Blood takes a long time to dry and no sign of struggle. And they're in well, their, yeah, their night clothes. Night clothes. But it's just yeah. becoming becoming evening. Okay. Yes. So deceased, we have Dawn, who was 18 at the time, Allison, who was 13, Mark, who was 12, and John, who was nine. Despite the fact that all six victims were killed with a 35 caliber Marlin rifle, the neighbors eerily reported only hearing the dog barking that night. Hmm. No one heard any gunshots. Yeah. So immediately after discovering the family's bodies, Joey calls 911, and I wanted to read a couple excerpts from that call. So Joey says, it's right off Merrick Road, Ocean Avenue. The operator says, Merrick Road, what's what's the problem, sir? It's a shooting. There's a shooting? Anybody hurt? Huh? Anybody hurt? Yeah, uh, uh, everybody's dead. What do you mean everybody's dead? Then the call continues. Okay, so what's your phone number? I don't have one. There's no number on the phone? All right, where are you calling from? A public phone? No, I'm calling from the house because I don't see a number on the house phone. Remember how we used to have? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You're at the house itself? Yeah. How many bodies are there? I think, uh, I don't know. I think they said four. There's four? Yeah. 
and there were six. Six. Yeah. E- yeah. <gasps> the homicide police in the area would say that this was the largest um, shooting that they had had in Long Island recent history in years, like single slaying of that many multiple people. Yeah. Um, after calling 911, Joe and the others would go outside and group around Ronnie where he started screaming at them. I'm not going back in that house. And he started pounding his fist into his car, yelling, my mother and my father are dead. He hasn't mentioned his siblings at all yet. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I can't wait till you get into this because I have so many questions. But there's so many. Not, not a lot makes sense in this. So the group mm-hmm. was able to convince him, though, to go back inside the house. Which Why does know- he have to go inside? Big mistake. Yeah, like preservation ah, of evidence. It's a crime scene. Mm-hmm. So they sat Ronnie down at the kitchen table where they waited for police to arrive. Um, Ronnie was questioned by police at the scene as soon as they arrived, and he first insisted that this must have been done by mafia hitman Louis Fellini. That's a jump. I wonder wh- why. He's right. like, well, that's been the mafia. Like, so he, yeah, he does have his reasons. So immediately okay. the police take Ronald into protective custody because his entire family has been annihilated. So they're like to protect you or taking you in. Ronald would even sign a statement to these claims, claiming that he had found his entire family dead and that he knows that this was the issue because Lewis had even lived with their family for some time. So they were involved in the crime organization. And Lewis also knew where all their valuables and their weapons were held. So he's like, if anybody did it, it's this guy. Protect me. Got it. Okay. Fair, fair Mm -hmm. assumption then. Yeah. But after police found the murder weapon and the ammunition from the murder weapon in the family basement, they started questioning inaccuracies in Ronald's story. Like, for instance, he had showered before he'd headed to the bar. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, so you just happened to, like, take a shower? Yeah. I mean, so did Amanda Knox, but. Yeah. Yeah. Not even close to the same. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Ronald reportedly confessed, saying, once I started, I just couldn't stop it. It went so fast. It's he so was, insane to me that there's six of them and that'd be six gunshots inside of a house that and nobody heard the, it as the other people wake up. Yeah. Yeah. Terrifying. Yes. So he's read his rights and arrested for the mass murder of his own family. Okay. So we're going to dive into the paranormal claims that the Lutz family made happened after they purchased the house from the DeVia. Well, it was probably up for whatever. After they purchased yeah. the house. Yeah, yeah. But there was a lot of speculation at the time. I want to go into the theories as to why this happened, what the motives were, all of that. Because there was a lot of speculation at the time as to whether Ronald DeFeo Jr. could have actually carried out this crime all by himself. Right. Yeah. Like, for one, Again, the murder. it's like six people. Yes. And like for one, so the investigators would say that the murders happened between an estimated um, like amount of time of 15 minutes. They believe it happened the night before between 3 a.m. to 3.15. That's mm-hmm. a long time for a killer yeah. to be going around with a gun. Yeah. And not to mention the eerie way where the bodies had been found. They were all face down in bed. And like they're all in like there's no sign of struggle at all. It doesn't make any sense. Right. How everyone would just stay in their beds. Yeah. Yes. And more importantly, how had no one heard these gunshots across the community? This is a large caliber yeah. rifle. Did and they the have police, neighbors? They did have lots of neighbors. Yeah. That little area is all uh, crowded with houses. Okay. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. in the movie, they're like in the woods, you know, it's like this house yeah. that's alone. Mm-hmm. So 
in real life they have no they're along a, a populated street yeah so it's um i mean obviously it's a small area under ten thousand, but yeah sure yeah mm-hmm. um investigators also did a test with the gun and you would have heard it through a mi- five mile radius quite loud like so it's it's odd so to the outsiders, the DeFeo family seemed like a total normal middle-class family, but according to those who knew the family personally, they were anything but. So Big Ronnie, Ronald Sr., bought the house on Ocean Avenue as a new start for his family. They moved from Brooklyn, New York. He proudly hung a sign in his front yard calling the house High Hopes because oh. they had high hopes living there. I thought that was eerie to like mention. Yeah. Eat. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a five bedroom, three bathroom house in an affluent part. It's huge and it's beautiful. And affluent part of Long Island had a heated swimming pool at the time and along with the boathouse. So this is an expensive Ooh, the boathouse. Yes. The boathouse. Yeah. <laughs> so Ronald Sr., though, he only managed an auto dealership. Now, this was a job that couldn't really support the family's lavish lifestyle. So from the all the articles I read, I got the like, hint that it was like think tony soprano waste yeah. management consultant like <laughs> yeah some money <laughs> from somewhere else yes yeah. now his in-laws did supplement some of his income but i don't think it was enough to the level of which the family was living sure yeah because that's now, huge and beautiful yes now like many italian american families they were all devoutly catholic um, and the year before the murders happened, they actually installed a statue of St. Joseph on their front lawn holding, lawn holding infant baby Jesus. Um, Ronald Sr. also distributed statuettes of St. Joseph to his coworkers and told them that nothing could happen to them as long as they were wearing it. That's so crazy. That's Isn't it's it? very mm-hmm. eerie. Yeah. All these things mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. Came and came before. Yes. And inside that family home, the problems weren't paranormal. Ronald Sr. was actually known to be an extremely abusive father and husband. Mm -hmm. So Ronnie DeFeo Jr.'s friends even reported that they wouldn't even enter the house. Like they didn't feel comfortable to go in and enter the house at all. Um, Their testimonies would later say that they bore witness to Ronnie Sr. hitting his wife just fully in front of them. Oh, that's awful. So if you imagine like what's going on. What would happen behind. Yeah. Right. And while many say that the entire family was the focus of Ronnie Sr.'s like abuse, it mainly went in on Ronnie Jr. Like he was extremely abusive to his son. And Ronnie couldn't even get away from his dad during the day. Like he couldn't leave home because when he would leave home, he was actually working at that auto mechanic shop. So he can't get away from his dad. Yeah. So this led him to struggle with drug and alcohol addiction and not like normal drugs like heroin. Like he's. He just is getting a deep end. Yep. Really messed up. Yes. And Ronnie hated his father. Hated his father. Um, he said he'd plan, he'd later say he planned the murder anyways, but he'd planned to do it in the street. But then things just got out of hand. Eek. So here's the thing though. Ronnie's a habitual liar. So there's a lot of different stories he's come up with over the time. So originally we've got that mafia hit, right? Then yeah. he said that he did it. Then he said, no, wait, it was my sister Dawn and I came home and saw her shooting the family and I struggled with her with the the gun and that's why she has all these bruises. Then the interview literally stops him and says she didn't have bruises on her body and he goes, oh, no, no, no. You look at the autopsy report. No, the autopsy report doesn't oh. show any struggle. Okay. Um, listening, story. Yeah, listening to his interviews is really hard, to be honest. Um, there's one that happened near the end of his life because he's passed um, since now. But um, 
he's very inconsistent with his stories and will swap his stories as you were talking to him. Like he can't keep it straight. I see. And I don't know if it's because of all the drugs he did, all the abuse, or if he's just swapping things up because like, like it doesn't make sense. Um, and another story, he would claim that he and his sister did it together and then he killed her anyways, but none of the bodies were moved. They were all shot in bed. That's so, none yeah, of them were moved. so strange to me. And then there was the idea that possibly the family had been drugged, but no drugs were found in their system. Oh, yeah. But I will say my mother made it pretty clear to me last night when we were talking about it. She was like, okay, so the widely accepted theory is that he went room to room, right? He got high on drugs that night, possibly heroin. Around 3 a.m., he goes room to room, first heading to his parents' room, then made his way to his two younger brothers' room, who's had somehow slept through this. They were in and the same room? The, the parents were, and then two younger brothers, and then one was separate, and then the older sister was separate. Yeah, okay. So there, we do have two siblings, though, in one room. Gotcha. Um, so he shoots them, then makes his way to his sister's room and murders them. So my mom said, doesn't make sense for the 18-year-old, Dawn. But for the other very little ones, you know, when you hear a noise at night and you used to just freeze and like stay under the bed, bed. yeah, that might have possibly been what happened there. Yeah. But like it doesn't. Also, your body metabolizes, I feel like a little bit after you die, like you're Mm. you're, like stuff. It takes a while for the body to slow down. So, but I mean, I don't know if you were drugging someone to the point of where they're not waking up, that'd be in your system. Right. Right. Like it doesn't, this is the weirdest case. Um, Ronnie would later say, as far as I'm concerned, if I didn't kill my family, they were going to kill me. And as far as I'm concerned, what I did was self-defense and there was nothing wrong with it. When I get a gun in my hand, there's no doubt in my mind who I am. I am God. Eek. Well, then, yeah, this was kind of a train wreck waiting to happen. So that's what one of the jury members would later say, and it kind of broke me. Um, she said in an interview that they all cried when they were making their decision of what to sentence him to because they said it seemed like since birth something really bad was going to happen with Ronald DeFeo Jr., and it was just mm-hmm. a time because of the way he was raised and everything. Um, yeah. So they had a hard time figuring out what to sentence him to because it seems like he was just a time bomb waiting to happen. Because of his circumstances? Because yeah. of his circumstances. Yes. Um, So for motive, originally it was speculated to be about the $200,000 of Big Ronnie's life insurance, especially since right after the murders happened, before he had even confessed, he asked the officers about how quickly he could get it. Oh. So there's a little bit of motive there. Yeah. But obviously the abuse is a huge motive as well, obviously. But the question is always, why did he kill his siblings too? Yeah. Like why, if you want to kill your parents it makes sense. Like Menendez brothers wise, we grasp it, but like why kill your little siblings? Right. So drugs, I mean, cause he was drugged. Right. So Ronnie's drugged. right. Ronnie's lawyers would claim that it was, um, he insanity. They're going for the insanity plea. Mm-hmm. Right. And they say that voices commanded him to kill the family. 
So we're, we're starting to get into that demonic side the of paranormal. things. Paranormal. Yes. yes. How we get into this. Because of course we, when we hear that nowadays, we think, okay, schizophrenia, mental health issues. But back then you can see how people would tie it a little bit more to the paranormal aspect of things, especially yeah. since that is what the movie's kind of based off is like these voices told him to kill. Right. So these defense claims failed and Ronald DeFeo Jr. at just 23 years old would be sentenced to six life terms of 25 to, of 25 years for the murder of his entire family. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I think it would have served the defense team better if they had just put in the abuse allegations and maybe gotten him into a hospital instead. But because he's yeah, not cause that's well. like a long stretch to be like demons told him to do it. Well, and he's not well. You can tell in his interview, right. he was not well. So unfortunately, the whole thing is just horrifying. So I feel like everybody knows that the paranormal side of things from Amityville Horror didn't start until the Lutzes moved in. So the Lutzes were the family that moved in right after the DeFeo family murders. They moved in 13 months after. That's so quick, right? Yeah. They bought mm -hmm. Did they know? Yes. So Yay. they, yes, they knew it was less than a month after Ronald had been convicted and they bought the house for a mere $80,000, which was well under market price for that area at that point in time. Absolutely. Well, clearly. Yeah. So George and Kathy Lutz were recently married, both divorcees, and they had brought to the house Kathy's three children. We'll get into those children here shortly. Um, they had been told the house's history, like I said. In fact, as part of their mortgage agreement for only 400 additional dollars, the Lutzes had purchased the majority of the DeFeo family furniture. Oh, my so God. Oh, right. Like, I have chills just thinking about they walked into that house. And it's and like it, the same. Oh, just, my God. Oh, that's a no. Like, I get like if you're not like into supernatural or you can get over like that a crime happened on your property you're like yeah okay sure we're getting a great deal it's real estate keeping their personal belongings is like another stretch like that was their things yes yeah and as i was watching the amityville horror last night um i saw like there was like a bed frame and i'm like did they have the bed frames because i don't think i could even sleep on their bed frames Oh my you know, God, no. My mom and I were talking about it. We we're like, what we might have done was buy it for 400 sell it all, sell it. and then get all my new furniture. Yeah. Like, my you could sell it for more than 400 which is the thing, too. If it's the whole house of stuff, that's crazy, though. That's crazy. It's, it's someone's belongings. I don't know. Ugh. I know. I just feel like it's all in poor taste. So the Lutzes would move in and they would stay in the house for only 28 days. 
The family would claim they would flee the house in the middle of the night, never to return, and they left all of their personal belongings that were auctioned off. Oh my God. Yeah. That's traumatized. Something that, yeah, something happened there then. I don't know. Abandoned ship. Are you going to just leave your stuff? Well, that, but then they'll get out of their mortgage. They'll go, they'll go into bankruptcy, but they'd get out of their mortgage. And it was very heavily rumored as to whether George Lutz could have afforded that house in the first place, even for $80,000. Oh my gosh. Okay. You had to tell me, tell me all the details. Let me tell you nuts. Yeah. Let's go into their claims. Cause their claims are fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so okay. Um, friends insisted. So when, when Kathy and George moved in, they'd just gotten married, right? George was a Methodist. Okay. Kathy was a Catholic, but f- to get married, he converted to Catholicism, even though neither of them were practicing. All right. Just be aware of that. So okay. they, their friends, they're like, Hey, you're moving into this house where this mass murder happened. We would feel more comfortable if you would just get a priest to bless the house, like just for our peace of mind. Right. So they yeah. get a priest priest comes in, blesses the house. Here's a masculine, angry voice. Tell him to get out. Okay. Oh, yeah. In the movie. Yeah. Just start playing the movie in my head. Yes. He flees the house. He says he gets stigmata marks, you know, the like yeah. the cross, yeah. um, in the form of blisters. And then he says he never really told the Lutzes about this. So I don't know how they ended up finding out about it. But get this. They the Lutzes claim that this father's name was Father Mancuso. And this other father who was fought Reverend Ralph Picaro. He was Kathy's minister or whatever during the time of her first marriage and then instructed George in his conversion from Methodist to Catholicism. He actually told Newsday that he had never been anywhere near 112 Ocean Avenue. Hmm. But they still claim that a father Mancuso was, was there. Okay. Well, yeah. So, so it's like whether it's like they're protecting his, this other father's identity. Then there was a local parish priest who also said he hadn't been anywhere near 112 Ocean Avenue. So we're not sure who this priest was. Um, there was a priest that did come forward and say that they were the priests, but it's never been confirmed that this was the actual priest that came forward and bl- tried to bless his house. He will never know. We will never know. Um, George Lutz during this time of the house would claim that he would wake up around three 15 every morning to visit the boathouse. And this supposedly was the exact time the DeFeo murders happened. We don't know when the DeFeo sure. murders definitively happened. Um, we do of course have time of death. We've gotten much more specific over it over the last, like what, 45 years. But at that point in time, like for them, they, they gave an estimate, you know, like it wasn't so Even though it was December as well and quite cold in New York, the house was constantly swarming with flies, according to the Lutzes. There's no photo evidence of this, which I think is interesting. I mean, would they be taking pictures of it? But Mm. still, yeah, maybe. Kathy Lutz uh, reportedly had repeated nightmares about the murders in the house. I mean, who wouldn't? Wouldn't we all? <laughs> like, why? Of course. I mean, I couldn't sleep. I'd be up at three fifteen too, like panting about <laughs> li- sleeping in the the bed of those people. I mean, yeah. God, Ronnie told so many different stories. I'd be like, was it Ronnie? Did Ronnie escape prison? Like, I, I don't yeah. know. You know, yeah. like, yeah. no, I don't. I don't think I I do have this dream to buy a house like the Lizzie Borden house one day and turn it into a bed and breakfast. I would love to do that. But it would have to be a historic home. Like, I'm not going to buy something like a month like, after people. A have, year after. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Uh, Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. So Kathy said she repeatedly felt herself being embraced by an unforeseen force. No, thanks. George, 
Mm. George and Kathy claim they saw the image of a demon with half of its head blown off. The Lutz's daughter, Missy, would befriend an entity that she called Jody, a demonic red-eyed pig. She was five years old when they moved in. George, yes. George kept waking up to the sound of the front door slamming, but no one else heard it. And the front door was always closed when he went to go check it out. Kathy would receive welts on her chest. And according to George, he woke up one night and she was levitating three, two feet in the air over the, <laughs> sorry, it's funny. <laughs> would you just like go back to sleep? you like, no, I'm not dealing. I'm not dealing with this. Get down from there. Come on. Piss off the shenanigans. Oh gosh. Um, Giant cloven hoof prints appeared in the snow outside of the family home on New Year's Day. Now, researchers would later dispute this claim as there was no snow on the ground. They they claimed that. Okay. Yeah, it happened. So that's interesting. Green slime apparently oozed from the walls in the hallways. A crucifix on the wall kept revolving until it was upside down. Eek. And George saw his wife transform into a 90-year-old woman. Okay, well... There's a lot of there's a lot of things happening in this house that are explainable or just insane. You're like, you. be, the flies, okay. The yeah, you're like last night we're watching Amityville. Movie. We're watching Amityville Horror last night, and they dig out in the '79 movie. Now I don't think this obviously truly happened, but they dig out a literal portal portal to hell, and they continually keep on living there, even though there's a portal to hell in their basement. And Mom and I were laughing so hard. We're like, if this isn't some white people shit, like we're just gonna deal with it apparently, and then just like, like, like stupidity, cool. just close it up. Yeah, <laughs> that's just fine. Go back to bed. I paid for this house. I'm staying. Like, God, what is happening? Oh. Um, these claims are wild, obviously. And as such, they were wildly disputed. So there were the defense attorney for the Lutzes, okay, would later claim to People Magazine that the story of Amityville Horror was concocted by himself and George Lutz over many bottles of wine. I mean, that'd be a good one. Yeah. I mean, sell your story. It's a good story. I mean, get your bags, sis, but my gosh. <laughs> so, but until their deaths, both Kathy and George would remain adamant that the depiction in the books as well as the movie were for the most part true. In 2009, one of the children, Danny, who is now a grown man with a family, also wanted to make sure his story about the house got out to the public. So he got in touch with filmmaker Eric Walter to share his story in the documentary, My Amityville Horror. He was 10 when the family moved into the house and he will get quite argumentative with you and defensive and even angry. If you challenge him, I feel like if you moved in as a kid, it's different than adults making up the story. If you were like, okay, if you knew people were murdered there as a kid, as a 10 year old kid, wouldn't your mind mess with you? Like, yeah. I used to get scared of like my grandma's water heater in the basement or like a spider in the shower. Like, Knowing that you're like sleeping in a bed where someone was murdered might like mess with you a little bit. Yeah. And the kids, the kids were so young too. So, um, Danny was 10, Christopher was seven and then Missy was five. So think about those ages, like the false memories you could possibly get to from living in a house like this, especially if your parents let you know, Oh, by the way, there were four other kids that got totally murdered in this house. Like enjoy sleeping in your bedroom. And if your parents are like, (laughs) 
wacky enough to be like making up these stories to be selling to the public. You you want to believe your parents, right? Or if you didn't see, you'd be like, well, dad swears he saw this. Like, yeah, you'd freak your own self out. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So he gets a pass. Mm -hmm. He probably does believe whatever happened happened to him. But like, yeah, parents like, yeah, it's insane. So he believes his life was ruined by demonic forces in the house. However, his brother, Christopher, insists something did go on in the house, but neither the book or the movies produced after it produced an accurate description of the events in Amityville. He was, oh, like I said, he was seven when he moved in. Um, and he says that it's all too rarely mentioned that his father, George, or stepfather, excuse me, George Lutz, was super into the occult. Hmm. So... Not a good Catholic. All right. Not a good Catholic, but maybe also that like he's dabbling in this, you, you could claim brings in the evil spirits, but maybe also just dabbling in this and telling your children about it could put thoughts in their head as well. You know, hundred percent. Yes. So Christopher would say he believed that George was a professional showman who he clashed with until Christopher finally left the family home when he was 16 years old. Cause they, he just felt like their whole feelings had been exploited. Like everything about them had been exploited for money. Yeah. So he gave interviews years later as an adult to quote unquote, set the record straight. And he said, quote, George points his finger at the house and says there's something evil there. Fingers should be pointed at what he had done. He's a perpetrator and an instigator. Okay. Ka yes. Kathy and yeah. George Lutz would divorce in 1988. But this would not be before George actually sued his own stepson concerning, like, it was a trademark, I think, because oh. George wanted another Amityville horror to be, like, so the fact yeah. that he's, so he's suing. Got the story, yeah, sticking to it. <sighs> yes. And then Missy was just five at the time um, when the family moved in, and she hasn't really touched, talked about this much, but she recalled that that time in her life as being extremely traumatic, but not because yeah. of any poltergeist. She's referring to the Lutz family feud that would happen after the family left the house. So oh, she, all of this craziness after that was absolutely traumatizing also part. like moving, like she was moved into this house and they have this like said trauma and then she's like ripped out of her home and moved again or whatever. And their yeah. family's like an upheaval. Sure. That'd be Trump. She's five. She's like five. It's all turned mm -hmm. on its head. Yeah. Yeah. So George and Kathy's full claims can be found in the book written by the family, along with that movie we've talked extensively about. The book is called The Amityville Horror, A True Story, published in 1977, and it was marketed with the tagline, quote, more hideously frightening than The Exorcist because it actually happened, quote. Well, yeah, they really sold that story then. <laughs> based on a true story that someone made up. So based on a true story that's made up story. That's oh, cool. gosh. It climbed to the... Out. Oh, my gosh. It climbed to the top of the New York Times um, best-selling nonfiction series list where it stayed for over 40 weeks. So the book was insanely successful. Yeah. The book would also lead to countless lawsuits as one skeptic called the book, the most profitable dog ate my homework story ever told. Yeah. So what happened with the house? They just move out and did they like abandon their mortgage? Like did they, they abandon everything money back? Like yes. what happens? Their belongings were, their belongings were totally sold, like auctioned off on them. So the lawsuits and the skeptics concerning this like whole story, they would point out that because the family kept saying, Oh, well, we left our home. We left our belongings. We're not gaining anything monetarily from this, but they would point out years later, the Lutzes didn't hold jobs, so they don't have any jobs, yet they're able to afford renting a $100,000 home 
in San Fran- San San Diego. Excuse me. I see. Yeah. Yes. They made they made a lot of money off of the story. They did. They did. Uh, lawsuits would uncover that George Lutz alone would receive at least a hundred thousand dollars a piece for his story for the movie and the book rights, and that's just George. So, I'd say they they were doing okay. Um, and that's just what one lawsuit kind of uncovered. So the Lutzes would go on to claim though, that every family before them and every family after that owned that house experienced similar things. Well, I mean, again, like just to, even if you believe or don't believe in paranormal activity, like you've planted the seed in someone's head that this is an evil place. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. No one else has made claims other than Ronnie DeFeo that there is a demon in that house. Okay. Um, so <laughs> the Lutzes sold the house to the Kermati family. I'm probably butchering their name. It's spelled C-O-R-M-A-R-T-Y. I don't even know how to say it. I'm so sorry. But that wonderful family, I love them. We'll touch on them a little bit more because they're pretty sassy with the claims of what oh my God, I in love the house. It. I hear for it. They said that no haunting, didn't experience anything other than the people that would travel all across the country to see this home and harass them and prank the owners. They would even find human feces on their doorstep. Like, because this was such a popular and crazy story. So they yeah. would release a statement concerning their experiences in the house. They said... The quiet village of Amityville, Long Island, has been made infamous by a hoax. It will possibly never be the same. It is Long Island's equivalent to Watergate. None of us would be here today if a responsible publisher and author had not given credibility to two liars and allowed them the privilege of putting the word true on a book in which, (laughs) (laughs) in which in all actuality is a novel. Hmm. Yeah, I think we have to be suspicious when people say it's a true story. There's like one fact, like, oh, the family existed. That's true. Like, and they lived in Amityville. Got oh, it. True. Okay. It. Everything else yes. is true, except for if it's not. Yes. So, of course, this did not dissuade any of the paranormal believers, investigators, and in not checking this house out, right? So, in 1976, famed self-taught demonologist Ed and Lorraine Warren of the Conjuring series that we mentioned earlier, um, they were joined um, for a seance by a bunch of parapsychologists and psychics to spend the night at Amityville, right shortly after the family had fled, 1976. So I read an article by Marvin Scott. He spent the night with them in Amityville that night, and he said that while nothing happened personally to him, He did claim that at 3 a.m. with one candle flickering in the darkness, Lorraine Warren said it was the closest to hell that she'd ever been. Lorraine's a famed medium, so maybe. 
Lorraine would say in another interview, as I was going up the stairs, I reached a point where it felt like a force of water was coming against my chest, almost like a waterfall. It was the worst feeling. I stopped on the landing, held tight to the relic that was in my hand, and asked for strength and direction in going fo forward. It felt ominous to me. There was something inhumane and very, very negative. Her husband, Ed, said that a demonic force in the basement of the home that night pinned him to the ground before he was able to cast it out. Maybe they cast out all the demons that George Lutz brought the into the house. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who we're knows? Like, we're good. <laughs> it's um, so crazy to me that it didn't go into the hands of some like paranormal uh like believer that that did make it into like a bed and breakfast or something. It's like that's so it nuts to me that it just went to like a regular family. They're like, nah, we're good. Honestly, after it all been this, a gold mine. what a waste! Bread and breakfast. This is it. This is it. It could have been like, what a waste! You're already getting all of these tours the already. Ride that wave, baby. Yeah, no, no. Um, so have you seen the infamous photo of the ghost though? Because this was taken that night of no. Because okay, let me send it to you and see what you think. So this was taken. This photo. Let me tell you who it was taken by. That night. Gene Campbell, he's a professional photographer, okay? He set up an automatic camera that took infrared pictures. Like, okay. Yeah. So this okay, is what I remember one... the scene in the movie. They're like, ching. They're like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so spooky. this is what it captured. I'm scared, but I'm excited. <laughs> ah! <laughs> what? <laughs> then you're like, come out, come out. Come on, no. Oh, my God. That is so scary. It is scary. It is so scary. It is one of, it is a photo that gives me chills. That's really what it captured? Yes. Yeah, so if Clearly, you're listening. Okay, so, oh my yeah. God. So there's a boy in the picture, but like, it looks <laughs> like, what if they really just had a boy come, come through? They're like, oh yeah. So-and-so kid was running around. Shoot. So no one claims that there were any kids that evening there. Okay. And they had like a bunch of people in the house. Yeah. So I would think one of them you would, would break know. at this yeah, point in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a little boy. He's peering around the corner at the second floor landing of the Amityville house. I can't even look house. at this. I'm it's very scared. scary. And he looks like he's in pajamas. Many have speculated that he is the ghost of nine-year-old John DeFeo. Because he's like popping around the banister. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he like really, like really there. Ghost. Yeah, he is there. It's like a full-bodied apparition. It's not just like a little outline of like maybe someone in smoke and mirrors. No, it's like a kid is there in the in the photo. Yes. And now some skeptics believe that it was actually the image of one of the other investigators there, Paul Bartz. Dude, but it's, not, it's I, a kid. It's a kid. It's a kid. It's like a tiny um, human. A, yes, a very tiny human. Now, this photo, to put some speculation into this, this photo would not be released until George Lutz made an appearance on the Mer Merv Griffith show in 1979, which was three years after the investigation. So was it taken that night? You know, like you have to start weighing in a little yeah. speculation. Well, there's no proof that it, that it was taken that night. Yeah. Sure, that so if there I was no kids there, then everyone's going to say there's no kids because there weren't. Yeah, they could have taken it mm -hmm. after the fact. Just being a skeptic, but shit, that yeah. photo is scary if you're not expecting it. <laughs> that photo is scary. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Please surprise our viewers with that because that is so pop nuts. it up. <laughs> I can't unsee that. No. Um, so what's interesting is later Ronald DeFeo Jr. would laugh at these claims of demonic possession in the house, saying, There was no demon. You know who the demon is. I am the demon. 
well, the murderer? Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, you murdered your family. I think you got <laughs> problems. Like, you, If that's the kind of clout you want, you got it. All right. Oh, God. Oh. So, as I said, the only families to claim any paranormal activity in the houses, uh, other than like the paranormal investigators, obviously, but yeah. people living there, the Lutzes and Ronald DeFeo Jr. Now, that family that bought the house, the Camarades, let me read a little news article that they were a part of while they do owned they the house. they live there now? They no. do not. No. Who so they were now? actually, um, I don't know. We'll talk about what they've done to the house since because oh, okay. the house has changed actually quite a bit. Um, yeah. But which is sad. Like, I feel like this is something like you said. Like, like preserved yeah. for all spooky seasons to come. For all spooky seasons. I don't know. One of I think Christopher Lutz. I don't know what his last name is now. I don't think he goes by Lutz anymore. Um, but one of the the young men that was you know a part of that whole Lutz family debacle. He said it is a piece of American history, and it is. It's an infamous house in oh America. God, sure. Infamous house. Yeah. Um, but at the time, Cromarty said in this uh, news article that was released on October 11, nineteen seventy-eight. Um, yes, of course, Merrill says there is green slime all over her house. She simply adores the green slime. And Meryl says she can barely wait to go to bed each night so she can be blanketed by the hundreds of flies that swarm around her room. Best of all, though, at 2 o'clock every morning, a 50-piece band marches through the living room of Meryl's home <laughs> on Ocean Avenue in Amityville. <laughs> Meryl just loves the marching music at 2 a.m. It's fun. The fun part is to egg people on, tell them what they want to hear, she said. Actually, what I do is make them feel foolish. They'll start to say, oh, yeah, that is kind of silly. So, but sadly, they, her family was run out of that home um, after reportedly, and it's by, she says, by all the tourists and everything that just forced them out. Oh my God. Yeah. You'd get so sick of like all these people just mm -hmm. showing up like and, and trying to prank you and like, yeah, you'd be like, leave me yeah. alone. It's my house. And she reportedly got the house at a steal for $55,000. Whoa. Like, and man, oh man. Now, they did have a hell of a time selling it when they went to sell it, though, because everybody wanted to really? come tour the house just to tour the house. Oh, my God. I'd so be like, no, we have a 3D thing online. Like, Well, not then, though. I think no. she, they sold it in the 80s. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> a 3D thing online. Yeah, I wonder what they do, though, to protect people like that, because that would just be such a waste of time to, like, tour people through my house for free. And It'd be like, like earnest not... money down. And then oh. if you don't like it, then you can have your money back. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, that'd be I better. I don't know. It's probably not yeah. legal. With a little, with a little like a hundred dollar like deposit or something, you can't yeah. get back if you're just pulling your freaking legs. Yeah, it's um, a $100 tour. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there was a headline I read that I thought summed up the Amityville whole story today. It says, "Excuse me." It says, "House of Terror to certain parties." Dot dot dot. Simply a mass murder site to others. The only real terror that the neighbors of the time said that they felt on that street in Amityville was Ronald DeFeo Jr. One woman said in an article that I read, please don't use my name in case that kook Ronnie ever gets out. He, yeah, he killed his mm -hmm. whole family. I wouldn't be trust, trusting him. And yeah, no. Did he get out? No, he died. No, he, he died. died. He would never get out. He passed away just last year on March what? 12th. 2021 with an undisclosed he was only 69 and they never disclosed to the public how, what he died of so that's spooky that's why would you not curious my mom yeah. said she was like was he killed in prison or something like what, yeah. what happened 
Like, why would they not tell? Was it COVID? Oh, but I think seriously, like, like, can they say? I don't know. But I feel like you would know if it was like suicide or something else. Like, it would have maybe been published. But who knows? That's that's crazy. I didn't know he was alive. I know. I know. I know. Wow. And there's a more recent interview with him, but I couldn't get through 30 minutes of it because he was just all over the place. I Mm -hmm. couldn't keep straight what he was saying. It was like, it was sad, like to watch. Um, Now, since all of this, 112 Ocean Avenue's address has actually been changed to try to get rid of people. It's now 108 (laughs) Ocean Avenue. So 108. plot it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they changed the iconic sinister windows. So you remember those demonic windows? Yeah, the spooky windows, windows yes. eyeballs of the house. Yeah. yeah. So now they're straight on, just straight on rectangle windows from the top. And they had it totally remodeled. And the le- the latest owners to own the house, they bought the house for almost a million dollars. So that baby okay. has shot up in value. <laughs> I was like, um, land alone, when you were saying like 50,000, I'm like, I don't know why somebody wouldn't, if you're not into that, like just buy the house tear it down rent it out oh yeah tear it yeah, down build your own mcmansion there because you got the pool you got the boat, the boat dock, you got this yeah. like nice yeah you're off long yeah. island like yeah but there has yeah, been no... that a million valuation makes oh yeah sense. no crazy and there has been no further hauntings reported at amityville so i couldn't live there from like the mental like aspect alone dude i go outside and i hear like corn leaves whistling and i'm like uh hell no no Going in like that would no. be a spooky house- sounds are uh, like freak me out that'd be a house i'd like to visit like you know i stayed at the lizzie Borden yeah house. i want to stay at a bunch of like murder houses but i really do feel like this was like a i mean obviously they moved in 13 months after i feel like this would be awfully in poor taste but after they've written a book and profited off a movie and everything else it's like why did someone not pick that baby up and start making it a bed and breakfast and everything else right right well i mean yeah i mean because like we're already down that path of like this is a this has been made into a spectacle so a spectacle as disrespectful as it is i tell you watching that movie last night there's a point where the woman that plays kathy lets like the obviously it's not the actress but it's written into the script she sits bolt upright in bed you know wakes right up and she goes she was shot in the head and both my mom and i we gasped because we were like oh that's in such poor taste and to think it was released in 79 which is just like like right after seriously right after i was like holy goodness yeah. But yeah. Um, that is the horrible, crazy story of the Amityville Horror House. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. And you will be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. And what I love about BetterHelp is that you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your therapist and they respond with timely and thoughtful responses and you can schedule your weekly video or phone sessions so you don't have to sit at an actual therapist's office. You can do therapy wherever. I love it because they have such a broad range of things that they can talk about and are experts in. So if you feel like something's overwhelming you, like I know right now with me, content seems to be overwhelming me forever. I'm always distracted by the office or scrolling on TikTok for forever and not really paying attention to what's going on within me. So I feel like that's been super helpful. 
Yeah. And if it's not your match, they'll match you with someone else. So I know I had to try with one therapist and then I switched to another therapist that was a better fit for me. It's also way more affordable than offline therapy and financial aid is available for those who may need it. Join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health by visiting betterhelp.com slash ITT. That's betterhelp.com slash ITT. And BetterHelp has a special offer for ITT listeners. You'll get 10% off your first month if you go to betterhelp.com slash ITT. Again, that's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash ITT. It's horrifying. It is so horrifying. Many yeah. So many reasons. Wow. Who knew? Who knew? The murders are still so crazy to me. Like, I don't know. Well, now that Ronnie's dead, I don't think we'll ever get any real answers as to what happened yeah. in that house that night. Wild. But I am excited for us to talk about this on Patreon at some point in time and get yeah. on there and hear everybody's responses to this, what they would have done with the house if they had owned it. How would yes. they have gotten rid of like some tourists? And I can't wait to talk about it on our Q&A because this is a wild one. Like this is something you could really like run off with. And we can also talk about the Warrens too on there because oh, Ed, the Ed and Lorraine Warren, oh. like were they, were they, um, fraudsters? They have their or own were issues. They, <laughs> yes. And abusers possibly. Seriously. Like, possibly. So if you haven't joined us on Patreon, make sure you do. So you don't miss out on that because I want to like go through it. So yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm so surprised like that Ronnie though, um, didn't have like more mitigating like from the abuse like didn't have that as his defense that's what i don't understand if you're that well maybe the time but that now like, they say like if you witness your mom being abused it's almost as it's either almost as damaging or more damaging than suffering your own abuse uh because you want like as for as a child because um you want to be able to protect your mom especially if it's like the oldest son or like the like supposed to be like the man protecting his his um mom the man of the house and he can't so yeah that's why it's like super damaging i can't believe that that's yeah i mean no wonder he was a little bit damaged from the abuse no that he received as well as seeing his mom be abused yeah yeah, absolutely Amazing. horrifying. I mean, I, and I wonder like if things were being done like that in public around other people, what yeah. on earth was that man like behind closed doors? Like obviously so a sad. lot went on there. Yeah. 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 All right. Now we're on a bummer of a note. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we were, I'm so sorry. We're I just... all hyped up about the ghosts and then we're like abuse. Okay. God. Yes, okay. <laughs> but what really happened was sad and terrifying. Yes. It was. It was. God, I just, I don't know why he did it to his siblings. I'm like, if we could have just left it at dad. Like me. <laughs> like as terrible. I had an abusive father. I feel like I could say that. But <laughs> like, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> no. Oh. Oh, God. Anyways, until next time. Hey, for until next time. time. <laughs> wow. That was so scary, though. It was. Cheers. A Huda Media Production. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued 
by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.